it's really an incredible experience to sense that you're a part of God's active involvement in ministry and outreach to the world. Being available is the best thing that we can do so that He can use us. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of First Person. I'm Wayne Shepherd. My guest today is the leader of Wycliffe Associates, Dr. Bruce Smith. Bruce and his team assist Bible translators all over the world by connecting resources and volunteers with both nationals and missionaries who are communicating God's Word. You'll meet Bruce in just a moment after I remind you that First Person is here each week with stories of faith and calling as people follow Christ. Everyone's story has a unique twist, and they all challenge us to action as we commit our lives to the Lord. First Person is found online at firstpersoninterview.com, where you can listen to past programs, check the schedule of what's coming up in the weeks ahead, and find the complete list of radio stations now where First Person is aired. We're also found at facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. Our guest, Dr. Bruce Smith, describes his life as a living translation. That's the title of his book, which tells his life story, 30 years of international ministry traveling to over 100 countries. Bruce is now spending his life assisting in Bible translation around the globe, and he and I connected on the phone recently and began talking about his present-day responsibilities. Well, I'm the president and CEO of Wycliffe Associates, and uh, Wycliffe Associates has been around since the late 60s. It was formed by some Christian professionals who really had a heart for Bible translation and had a sense that God was calling them to use their professional skills and experience to support translation teams around the world. So since 1967, that's exactly what we've been doing. We've been inviting and supporting the involvement of Christian professionals to use their skill sets in advancing Bible translation around the world. The work of Wycliffe is so widely known, and you are the, uh, you're the support mechanism for all those workers in the field then, right? Correct. Most of our people come with uh, skill sets from the local economy. They're managers, they're accountants, they're teachers, they're technicians, engineers. And it's those skill sets that we bring uh, alongside the people with the language skills in order to make them more effective in their work. The reality is that Bible translation takes place in some of the most remote and underdeveloped parts of the world. And uh, the lack of any kind of a physical or information infrastructure really impedes the progress of Bible translation. So bringing people with those skill sets in can build a team around those translation uh, workers that can help them to be much more efficient and effective. What's the best part of your job, Bruce? Uh, The best part of my job is uh, seeing who God has prepared in advance to fill a strategic need around the world. Um, For years, I've been here, this is my 14th year with Wycliffe Associates, and in all of those years, we have been faced with very unique uh, needs and opportunities to respond to to help Bible translation advance around the world, and I frequently wonder who in the world could fill this need. (laughs) And within days often, and sometimes within hours, God brings people into our circle that He's already prepared with precisely the right skill set who are ready to respond and to engage in the team. And it is exciting to see God's hand of preparation in advance come to fruition and see those people as they join the team. That's got to be very rewarding. I know you travel to many of these places uh, often yourself, and I want to get some of those stories before I let you go here today. But I want to start with your own story. When did you become a Christian, Bruce? 
Well, I became a Christian as a child. I grew up in a, a Christian family in suburban Chicago area, kind of in the Leave it to Beaver era of the <laughs> 50s and 60s. And uh, really was blessed to have a great uh, family and community around me to uh, really coach me and mentor me in terms of my growth in faith. I made a personal decision at a very young age. I was probably more serious than many kids my my age. I also made a an early commitment to be involved in missions. I was involved in a teen missions work team at the age of 18, and uh, that really shaped my direction in life to get involved in missions full-time, and I've, I've been doing it ever since. And when did you get the bug to start flying, piloting airplanes? Uh, that's actually a, a weird uh, coincidence. Uh, I had been scheduled to go to college to study engineering. Uh, I, I didn't really know what God wanted me to do with my life, and all my peers in high school were going into engineering. So as I headed that direction, the the one difference I made is I decided I wanted to go to a Christian school for studies because I really wanted to find a way to integrate my faith and my work in life. I, I didn't want to compartmentalize those two things. So I found Laterno College at the time in Longview, Texas, that had a Christian engineering program. It happened, though, that the summer before I went to college was when I went to Guatemala with Teen Missions. And during that summer, I decided I didn't want to be an engineer. I wanted to be in missions. So when I showed up on registration day at Laterno College and said, I decided I don't want to be in engineering, they said, well, what are you doing here? And I said, well, there's got to be some way to, to use technology to support missions. And they said, well, we've got this aviation program. Would you be interested in that? And I said, sure. <laughs> I'd, uh, the only airplanes I'd ever been on were flying to and from Guatemala. <laughs> and uh, so I had no prior experience, and God just uh, dropped me into that arena. So you weren't one of those kids that stared into the sky and thought, I'd like to do that someday. I actually was one of those kids, but I really didn't have any practical way to pursue that. I didn't know anybody who was involved in aviation. Um, nobody in my family or in our circles was, and so I just assumed that I'd be a blue-collar worker just like everybody else in our community was. Mm-hmm. So what was the next step then? I mean, you you became a pilot and got involved in Mission Aviation Fellowship. Exactly. Uh, After graduating from Laterno College in the Aviation and Missions Program, my wife and I volunteered uh, for a summer. This is kind of an interesting connection to Wycliffe Associates as well. We went out with MAF as volunteers. We just said, we'll go anywhere in the world, we'll do anything you want us to do, and we'll pay our own way. Can you use somebody like that? And they they found a place for us, and uh, actually we went down to Suriname, South America, And the main reason for that for us was that I wanted my wife to have a look at what life in an international arena would be like, since I had already been overseas and she had not. And so uh, we had a great experience at that point. But uh, I was 22, she was 21, and all the missionaries were way older. They were like 35, 36, (laughs) you know, really, really old people at that point in time. And so we decided that the best thing for us would be to gain a little maturity gained some professional experience in aviation. Also, we had our our two daughters were born in Georgia. And uh, after that uh, interim period of time, then we joined MAF full-time and went overseas. Actually, our first assignment was back to Suriname, and then we were later transferred to Haiti. Hmm. During those uh, MAF years, uh, again, uh, you know, pilots like you have stories, (laughs) so many of them in your your pocket. Uh, Just break out one of those just briefly for me uh, during the MAF time of your life. Well, during our during our last year in Haiti, um, I had been the program manager of our flight program there, and of course, it's a it's a nation that 
most of the people live in dire poverty, and it has very little infrastructure. I spent a lot of my time there uh, actually opening new airstrips and, and helping places in the country to be accessible to humanitarian and church workers. But one day I was sitting in church uh, during that last year, and we were praying because one of the missionaries on a little island out in the Bay of Port-au-Prince called Lagunav, this missionary had been attacked the night before. Uh, she ran a little pharmacy and clinic there, and some local people had uh, burglarized it and had beaten her and actually hit her in the head with a machete, and so she had grievous wounds. And uh, I just had the sense as we were praying for her that God was telling me, you, Bruce, are here as the answer to that prayer. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I don't know how that's going to work because there's no airstrip on Lagunov. And so uh, we got home after church that day, and our phone was ringing, and sure enough, it was the mission uh, authorities for for this gal who were calling and saying, can you go out to the island and land and pick pick her up? Her name is Gertrude Folk. And I said, well, uh, I know there's a beach that... Uh, you know, at low tide, can be potentially used. No way. I'd actually surveyed it previously, <laughs> and uh, I said, you know, in theory, I should be able to go out there and land if it's dry, but if it's wet, I won't be able to land. And uh, they said, well, we'll call you back in a few hours. Well, a few hours turned into several hours, and by then it was getting to be nightfall, and they just said, can you do it in the morning? So I went to bed that night praying that God would, you know, give me wisdom the, the next morning as I went out to Lagunav, and it rained all oh, night. Oh, no. And I just thought, oh, God, this is just too hard. Um, <laughs> you're really going to send me out there and make me make the decision to not land on this? Because if I land on the beach and wreck the airplane or, you know, get injured or, you know, it's you, that's, that doesn't help anybody, obviously. So the next morning I got up early, went to the airport, took off, flew to Laganov, and I got there, and the beach was completely dry. Is that right? <laughs> the, it had rained on the mainland on, in Port-au-Prince, but it had not rained on the island. So I was able to land, pick up Gertrude, load her up, took off from the beach, and headed back to Port-au-Prince. And as I was heading back to Port-au-Prince, a Learjet emergency ambulance had come from Florida mm. and landed at the airport just ahead of me. So I, I taxied up and was able to transfer Gertrude from one plane to the other. She survived, and she actually came back to Haiti just before I left. And I I was checking another pilot out to so that he would be able to land on that beach safely. And when we were uh, out walking along the beach, showing this other pilot the the uh, landing area, Gertrude came out and gave me a big hug oh. and thanks for for being there for making a difference on that day. Fabulous! So it's it's really amazing opportunity to to be the answer to somebody's prayer on an occasion like that. Yeah, I wanted to ask you, what does it feel like to, uh, to know that God used you in a situation like that? It's got to be very powerful. Yeah, it you know, I just think of all of this all of the preparations, all of the things, decisions made by myself, by my family, by other people that put us at that place and at that time and just the dis- disposition that we had that said, "Lord, use us," even though we didn't know how he would use us, just making ourselves available and then seeing, you know, time after time after time. This was just one example, but just seeing it time after time it's it's really an incredible um, experience to sense that you're a part of God's active involvement in ministry and outreach to the world. And, um, you know, it's not because we're perfect or because we're deserving, but just because we said yes and showed up. And uh, 
being available um, is, is the best thing that we can do so that he can use us. We'll learn more about Wycliffe Associates and its president, Bruce Smith, coming up today here on First Person. Next week, you'll hear the life story of evangelist and apologist Ravi Zacharias. If we find our identity in our own strength or some other thing we have attained along the way, we will not delight the Lord. And if your goal in life is to delight the Lord, you should have that healthy reverence. Ravi Zacharias travels the world proclaiming Christ. Hear his life story next time on First Person. My guest today is Dr. Bruce Smith, who is president and CEO of Wycliffe Associates. And it's so good to have Bruce on the line talking about his life. And he's written about his life in a book called Living Translation. By the way, I think that's a great title for that book, Bruce. I don't. Did you come up with that or did someone else come up with that? No, I came up with that. I, I, I often hear people say that they don't feel like there's a place for them in Bible translation because they're not language specialists or linguists. And my response is that each of us are translating God's Word through our lives, through our own words, through our own actions, so that we are a testimony to the people around us. So it's a, it's a way for me to help people understand that they, too, are translators. I want to turn to your work in ministry with Wycliffe Associates, but uh, just before we get there, we left you a moment ago working with Missionary Aviation Fellowship, a great organization. You were a pilot and uh, eventually moved into a management position, didn't you? Yes, I I served six years as the chief operating officer for Mission Aviation Fellowship in the late 90s and uh, really thought that I was going to be there for life. Uh, I expected that God's preparation and just the circumstances of of service there, the people that I worked with, everything just fit together so well. I I fully expected that to last for life. But uh, after six years in that position, uh, a few curves uh, came my direction that uh, really convinced me that God was calling me in a new direction, and uh, an opportunity opened up for me to come to Wycliffe Associates uh, just at the end of 1999, and uh, I responded to it uh, really quite unexpectedly, but uh, have have really seen God's hand at work in this ministry as well. Well, let me talk to you about that for a moment. You you describe it as a curve. It 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 came through disappointment, and you weren't uh, really looking to leave MAF, but God had to kind of move you along, didn't He? He really did. Uh, you're really going to probe here, huh? Oh wait, I'm going to have to tell the whole story. Well, you well, do in your book, so I think I'm on safe ground here. <laughs> yeah, that's true, and and I I do want to be transparent. The reality is, uh, some changes in ministry direction and leadership um, really surprised me. And, and made me wonder whether I could continue in that, in that kind of a role. And so I, I had to face that disconnect, really um, almost losing a dream of, of being in that ministry for life, and just re- resubmit myself to God and say, what is it that you have planned? You know, I've got everything planned out. Uh, I'm comfortable. I love the people I'm working with. I love what I'm doing. But what is it that you have for me, God? And you know, even missionaries have to have to open themselves up for that kind of recommitment. Mm-hmm. We can't just get into a rut and and stay comfortable in in the areas that that uh, we're in. And uh, so for me, that was a surprising change. But I, I prayed for three things. I prayed that God would give me a ministry that had value for eternity, and I really f- feel that Bible translation certainly is is right in the center of that. I prayed for a job that would fit His preparations in my life. 
And I really feel like my leadership here and the, the team that we've been able to develop at Wycliffe Associates has been a tremendous answer to that prayer. And the third thing I prayed for was people that I would love as much as I love the people I worked with at Mission Aviation Fellowship. And God has answered that uh, many times over with the volunteers and the staff that work together here at Wycliffe Associates. It's just a great team to be a part of, and I just feel so um, undeserving and so uh, fulfilled to to share ministry with people of this kind of quality. Isn't that wonderful? And I want to thank you for your vulnerability as you write about that whole season of life. I've been through a similar season in my life, and uh, I think many people can identify with what you went through. It's uh, I heard a friend recently say, you know, put your yes on the table and let God put it on the map. And uh, <laughs> I think <laughs> that's that a great des- phrase. That describes uh, what you've been through, which brings us to Wycliffe Associates. And I just uh, love the work of Wycliffe. And I want you to just tell me some stories about these uh, dear servants around the world, so diverse in their talents and yet all aimed at the purpose of translating the Bible. Well, for many years of Wycliffe Associates' history, it was a fairly small support organization for translation and a fairly typical kind of a short-term missions uh, organization. Uh, the people that were in leadership at Wycliffe Associates would call their friends, call their contacts, and describe a particular team that was going out to Peru or going to Papua New Guinea, uh, primarily doing short-term construction work and those kind of things. So that was mostly our history. But when I arrived in early 2000, uh, it was right at a time when uh, the whole uh, Bible translation movement worldwide was sort of taking stock of its progress. Uh, Looking back on the 20th century, the progress of Bible translation through those years was tremendous. But looking ahead, the work was just still overwhelming. And so um, at at that point in time, there were about 3,000 languages still needing Scripture translation to begin. And at the prior pace of translation starts, it was estimated that it would take 150 years. As people talked about that, uh, and I was, I came sort of late to that conversation, but I, I certainly agreed that we needed to do something better than to, to wait 150 years to get God's Word to all of these languages. So that's when Vision 2025 began being described, and that was really a vision to do in our generation in the next 25 years what would otherwise have taken six generations or 150 years. Mm-hmm. And so uh, in response to that, we've, we've really woven Christian professionals, our volunteers and staff, into the long-term team all over the world. This last year, we had uh, somewhere just under 4,000 volunteers serving in 73 different countries. And where do these volunteers and, come from? Yeah, these volunteers come from your town, my town, uh, any town, USA. Uh, they come from Canada. They come from other countries around the world now. And these are, are basically people who have, for much of their life, felt uh, marginalized by missions, where where they felt like, well, they weren't called to be a full-time missionary to go out and raise their support in sort of the typical missionary model that maybe you and I grew up with but really feel like in their post-career years, especially retirement years, that they've got time, talent, treasure, uh, and and a readiness to be a part of a team that they've never really been a part of before. And so they're saying yes uh, at a rate that uh, is just astonishing. Um, we're, we're working hard to invite them and to describe the service opportunities that uh, fit their technical and managerial and administrative skills, and they're just saying yes in hordes these days. Hmm. 
and really strengthening the Bible translation teams all around the world very tremendously by using the the skill and experience that they've built over a lifetime. It's a remarkable model that you have there at Wycliffe Associates, utilizing these volunteers. You're right, there are people who want to make a difference uh, even after retirement, they they want to make a difference uh, for the kingdom, and you give them that that opportunity. Uh, I've been to your office in Orlando, Florida. I know there are even people who bring their RVs in and park them and work right there in Florida with you. And some go around the world, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. There, we we typically have somewhere around between four hundred and fifty and five hundred volunteers serve in Orlando alone wow. in a given year. But our our major emphasis is inviting them to serve internationally as well. Right. Uh, you'll you'll appreciate this. I often tell retirees, maybe they're fifty five, sixty years old. I tell them you might only have fifteen or twenty good years to serve as part of the Bible translation team. <laughs> Uh, if you're at that stage in life. But the great thing is they can show up at work next week and bring all of that skill and experience that God has invested in them through a lifetime and immediately be effective in their work. And that's one of the parts that's making a huge difference in the acceleration of Bible translation worldwide. Bruce, you have traveled much of the world and visited these linguists and others who are at work translating the Bible. What's, What's one lesson that you take away from those experiences? The first thing that we need to do when we picture those translators is to picture people from their own nations who now have risen up with a vision to do translation for their own communities. The future of Bible translation and even the present of Bible translation significantly hinges upon the involvement of local Christians in their nations and communities. And so where in the past, perhaps that description of Bible translators would have conjured up Uh, white Anglo-Saxon Protestants going from the United States to all nations of the world, that portion of the team is still a vital part of it. But increasingly, these are people from Africa and from Asia and from the South Pacific who have grown up in the faith and and are part of a Christian community there who have uh, their own burden for seeing God's Word reach their people. And the opportunity to work alongside of those Christians, uh, people working with very meager resources, Uh, living on the edge of subsistence themselves in many cases, facing tremendous persecution in the worst, uh, most difficult parts of the world, war-torn areas of the world, and doing it all for their their love for God and for His Word uh, is really a humbling experience and an incredible honor for us to have the opportunity to encourage them practically in that process. That's the kind of thing that we have uh, an opportunity to be a part of today, not wait until heaven, to see those people standing before God's throne, but to be working with them today to invite their countrymen and their communities and their families to be part of God's family. And that is is an amazing way to invest our lives. I invite anybody who has any kind of an interest in this to, to contact us, and we'd love to talk about how they can be a part of that. And if you'd like to find out more about the team of volunteers, people of all ages who serve the Lord through Wycliffe at home and abroad, just go to firstpersoninterview.com and follow the links to Wycliffe Associates. That's firstpersoninterview.com. There at the website, we also have additional information about Bruce and his book, A Living Translation. Just follow the links at firstpersoninterview.com and then look for us on Facebook at facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. Again, facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. Next week, we're going to go back into our archive and listen to the life story of Dr. Ravi Zacharias. 
You'll learn more about how this evangelist and apologist was led to Christ in the first place following an attempted suicide. And you'll learn much more. That's next time on First Person. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd, inviting you to join us next week at the same time for First Person.